Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. We're chatting with Flor Hassan Nahum, who is the deputy mayor of Jerusalem, a barrister, host of the popular JNS show The Quad, the only British politician in Israel, with the most fascinating background, including having grown up in Gibraltar, of all places. Uh, and uh, so, Deputy Mayor Hassan Nahum, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hello, hello. Hi, Lisa. Pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. I have to ask you about your name. We must start with your name. Please. Please. Tell us about your name, all the different ethnicities and origins and who you are with this magnificent name that you have. Magnificent but unpronounceable name in my own country. It's not fun (laughs) being a politician with a difficult name, I can tell you. (laughs) Um, So, fleur is, um, it's a word in French. It means flower. And when I was born in 1973, apparently there was a very popular British um, TV show called The Foresight Saga. And the main character was called Fleur. My father loved the name. And in England, it's a name. But in Israel, nobody can pronounce it. And all the Americans call me Floor. But you actually are pronouncing my name correctly. So thank you very much. Hassan is a Spanish-Moroccan name from Gibraltar. I grew up in Gibraltar in southern Spain. And Nahum is my husband's name, who is, uh, who's also got an interesting uh, background. His family are Iraqi Jews that moved to India 150 years ago. So we're kind of a Middle Eastern Sephardi salad. Wow, you really are. You're your own little melting pot. Fantastic. We are. We are. And so when they tell me why colonialist, I'm like, look at my name. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's incredible. And Gibraltar of all places. So and and just for the record, uh, Fleur, you're Jewish, correct? You yourself grew up in a Jewish family? I'm Jewish. Yes. Yes, I am a Sephardi Jew. So how many Jews are there on the island of Gibraltar? 
Well, not many, but there's not many. <laughs> there's not many people there to begin with. It's right. a very small place, thirty-five thousand people, with seven hundred Jews, which is actually the highest percentage of Jews uh, anywhere in the world in terms of population. <laughs> That's amazing. So yes, which is interesting. There's more percentage-wise, there's more Jews in Gibraltar than in America. So there you go. Yes, but what was it like growing up on this rock? Like it's it seems so glamorous and exotic to me. It really does. <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, it's very nice. It's it's very small, though, you know. And so by the time I was 18, I couldn't wait to get out because Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, everybody knows your business. And it's a very small community. And if you're Jewish, it's even smaller. But it was wonderful. It was such a safe childhood. And you could, you know, on Sundays, we would climb up the rock and do barbecues. And there are monkeys jumping around the rock. It's kind of an ideal place to raise children. It's safe. It's small. Everybody knows everyone. There's no real crime. So it's a, it's a nice place. It's a really nice place to grow up in. I'm, you know, my sister remained there. My parents remained there. And my husband, then I met my husband in London when I was studying and we moved to Islam. I see. And so you studied law at King's College and then you qualified as That's a barrister, right. which is interesting in and yes. of itself because in England you have to decide if you're going to be a barrister or a solicitor, right? It's one or, or the other. <laughs> Exactly. So for the American audiences, it's like a barrister is a litigator in court and a solicitor is a lawyer that doesn't go to court, doesn't represent in court. And in the UK, the the uh, professions are split. And in the US, uh, you know, people specialize in being litigators or not, but the profession is not actually split. But I'm very, very grateful that you know the word barrister because normally when I sometimes I get introduced, people say flirt is a barista. I'm like, no, I didn't learn to make coffee. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm only a litigator. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I'm a yes, judge, Fleur. I don't know if you looked me up oh, on Google, but my I'm. God, a, I did. Yes, so yes. you know that. Yes, Absolutely. I, so in England, judges are mainly barristers, so that's why you know that. Ah, okay. Wow. And then you yes, became the campaign yes. director for World Jewish Relief. Tell me about what that organization is and does. I know very little about it. So it's basically a UK organization that um, helps Jews from across the world, not Israel. So uh, it was very focused for many years on Jews from the former Soviet Union, Ukraine, Russia, after the Iron Curtain came down, uh, poor Jews around the world, which communities needed help, um, and they're UK-based. They were essentially a uh, fundraising arm for uh, for the JDC, which I ended up working for, which is an American organization, the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, which is the largest humanitarian organization, Jewish humanitarian organization in the world. And that was my first job in Israel, actually. So I went from World Jewish Relief to the mothership, which was uh, the JDC, um, whose headquarters are in Jerusalem. And now you are the Deputy Mayor for Foreign Relations, Economic Development and Tourism. That's quite a portfolio, as we would say. That's quite a lot in Jerusalem. It is, especially because Jerusalem has an international brand to begin with. Jerusalem Mm -hmm. is not just a city in Israel. It's a city that means so much to so many people from around the world, from different religions. And I'm very aware of what Jerusalem represents to so many people. And so to represent Jerusalem across the world and to bring the world to Jerusalem has really been the privilege uh, of my life so far. So we're chatting with Fleur Hassan Nahum. So may I call you Fleur? May I, may I do that? Please, so 
please. Absolutely. Thank you. So, so Fleur, uh, tell me about since October 7th, how life has transformed for you personally, but also through the lens of what you do in Jerusalem. So essentially, I don't think anybody's life, not just here, but but Jewish people from across the world uh, will be the same as it was before the 7th of October. I think we, we I'm still in, in, in shock and trauma about what's happened. Maybe not shock anymore, but trauma certainly. Um, it's almost like a loss of innocence that people could have been so brutal in our own country. Um, the reason, we, one of the reasons that we created this country, we worked so hard to create this country so nobody could ever brutalize us ever again. And that's exactly what happened in our own territory. And this was not a territorial invasion. They didn't want to, you know, occupy kibbutz and kick anybody else. They, they came to kill um, innocent people and they did it in such a cruel way and it still continues to be cruel as they have 134 hostages still there. And so it I don't think I will ever I will ever be the same again Um, I think that I feel I feel kind of the our historical um, I I guess destiny maybe but I don't want to say destiny because it's so negative but I feel this historical wave of hatred um, that we are now experiencing that I never thought would happen in my lifetime I intellectually accept that 500 years ago my family was kicked out of Spain for religious reasons I know of many Holocaust survivors uh, from uh, the the, uh, discrimination that happened to Jews 100 years ago. I never thought that I would be living through an era of unbridled hatred towards the Jewish people, both in our own country and around the world. And, and, And most days I can absorb it intellectually, and some days it hits me emotionally, and I I still can't believe it, you know? Mm. Yeah, it really does seem... I just saw Barry Weiss at the 92nd Street Y on Sunday. And uh, and And her very erudite presentation was sort of an echoing of what you've just said about this sort of awakening from this innocence, from this naivete, from this this sort of complacency in a way, right? Well, well, why should we have to be paranoid all the time? You know, people joke about the paranoid Jew. Maybe we shouldn't (laughs) be joking about it. Maybe there's a point. Just because you think they're after you doesn't mean they're not after you. Well, it turns out they are. Um, And it's, it's just so depressing to think that the world hasn't moved forward from this discrimination and this hatred. It's just, it's, it's depressing. And, I, and, and to see it in, in college campuses where people are supposed to be intelligent and well-educated and understand history and context, and to have none of that, to essentially, I don't care what people tell me, um, I see this as, you know, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, spoke about the fact that anti-Semitism is a mutating virus, and that every generation it takes on a new shape, a shape that is acceptable to that era, a scapegoatism which is relevant to that era. That's what we are. So today in this post-colonial world, somehow Jews, even though we've had already two times sovereignty in our land, even though King David created the city of Jerusalem that I now serve, none of that matters historically because somehow we've converted or they've twisted us into white European colonizers in a foreign land. 
Jews are from Judea. Israel, the people of Israel from the land of Israel. There's enough proof here. I don't want to go through it because it's ridiculous whoever just denies that. And somehow we became these European foreign colonizers. So, no, Fleur Hassan Nahum is not a European foreign colonizer. <laughs> but I did my DNA test. Turns out that I'm 25% Middle Eastern. So there you go. But that, you know, don't confuse the haters with fact. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah. Uh, so my son-in-law, Yo Tom, is, is, um, is Israeli. And uh, actually, yeah. he comes from a very prominent, beloved family. The last name is Mosinson, and it was his great uncle who wrote Hasamba, which is one of the great Israeli Jewish stories that is told to kids. Yeah. Anyway, and yeah. Yotam's grandfather, who was still alive at 97, um, his family got there in 1905. So they're there a long time, or relatively long time. But anyway... Yeah. But he told me something. When they for got him. here, there were not many people here. <laughs> no, and 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 by the way, Yo Tom is the first and the only uh, member of his own family on both sides to immigrate to America, which is another conversation he immigrated here about seven or eight years ago. But the um, and they just had my first grandbaby. I must say that's the most important. Oh, thing. Two and a half weeks ago, I'm a grandma. Absolutely, that's the most oh, important. Oh, Yes, thank you. But Absolutely. you know what he? But you know what he told me, Fleur, when this when this war broke out, and it really stayed with me. I want to share it with you. He said to me, you know, yeah. Lisa, there's two kinds of anti-Semitism. There's highbrow and lowbrow. The lowbrow are the Nazis. They're, you know, the, the, the far right, the people that are goose-stepping, the people that finer, more educated people always look their nose down and everybody assumed came from a place of complete ignorance. But the highbrow is coming from the left. The lowbrow comes from the right. The highbrow comes from the left. The highbrow disguises itself in words like anti-colonialism and oppressor and all of that. And I thought that was a fascinating way of looking at this right now. Yeah. Look, I don't know whether I completely agree because uh, the Nazi era, the right wing, were the highbrow. It was academia that turned against Einstein and kicked him out of the country. They were not lowbrow idiots. But, there but in this country, into but in oh, this country, it, in yeah. America, when yeah. we see Nazis, America, as we've yes. grown up with them, we've yes. sort of made yes. fun of them. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody yes, should know they're, they're a pointy, bunch of morons. They're the pointy people. Yes, yes. They're the pointy hat people. Yes. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And and around the world, I would say it's the same thing. It, it, it's that type of people. But it doesn't matter where it's coming from mm. because that's what's really interesting. That it's like uh, it's like Lord of the Rings, the one ring to rule them all. Well, the one hatred to unite everybody is the hatred towards the Jews. 
So it really doesn't matter where it's coming from. The result is the same. So, and as the manager of tourism, I know many people that have wanted to go and, in fact, have gone to Israel since October 7th. What are you seeing in the way of Christians, non-Jews, wanting to come to Israel? Are they much more afraid now? Are you discouraging them because there is a war on? Or are you encouraging people to go visit Israel now? So first of all, Jerusalem, just in context, we currently are housing 35,000 evacuees, mainly from the north of the country. This is something people don't talk about. People talk about the displaced Gazans. They don't talk about the displaced Israelis. A uh, quarter of a million Israelis displaced between the southerners and the northerners because uh, Hezbollah launched a low-grade war against us from the 8th of October. Um, so 35,000 of them are in many of the hotels in the city, which is just as well because there are no tourists. No tourists coming for fun. Why would anybody fly in? Mm-hmm. Um for a holiday in Israel, which is currently a country at war. But however, your question about uh, Christians, we have had tens and tens of solidarity missions from Jews and from Christians. I've met with many of them, and I say to them, which is incredible, only Israel do fly in for a war. And we're so grateful for them showing up and coming here to see for themselves, to bear witness, to go down south, to see the terrible things, the atrocities that happen in the south of the, of the country. I don't take that for granted, and we're extremely grateful for those people who are coming. And so, so yes, people, there are people so coming. So if people want to ma- organize trips or missions and they want to do that, you're saying that they're encouraged to do that? And, and yes, it's, the it's, hotels are full. The hotels that are available are full of people for missions. This week I'm currently now at a WZO conference, which is the World Zionist Organization Conference, which I'm a part of here. And so, you know, American Jewish community have flown from all over the world, but so have the Christian community. Um, recently, most recently, about a month ago, I facilitated the opening of an indigenous embassy in Jerusalem, which is indigenous tribal people from all around the world coming in solidarity with the indigenous people of this land. Uh, I'm talking about Maoris from New Zealand and Native Americans and Native Canadians and people from Tahiti and Hawaii, indigenous people who came here in solidarity to say, we the indigenous people are with you, the indigenous people of this land, and we will stand with you. These are things that are very moving and I don't take for granted. Oh, they're incredible. We're chatting with Farhasan yeah. Nahum, who is the deputy mayor of Jerusalem. And every day when you get up now, uh, I don't know, I'm just, I just want to get a sense of the atmosphere in Jerusalem. The, are the people feeling, I mean, what's the mood state there, would you say, right now? Let me just say the, how resilient people are here. It's, it's incredible how resilient they are. We spent a month in shock and depression. And then people very quickly went into action. We have an incredibly strong civil society. And everybody from children to elderly people, everybody's doing something for the war effort. Everybody, anything you can think of, babysitting, driving soldiers, making meals, um, helping the evacuees, setting up shop for evacuees, gathering clothes for the evacuees. Everybody's busy doing something. And that is incredible social solidarity. And, uh, you know, the culture of voluntarism in this country is really unparalleled. But, of course, we're all very sad. 
this is a sad feeling. Until we get our hostages back, nobody, nobody's going to breathe. Nobody's going to sleep well because it could be any of our children. And everybody sees our own family members in those 134 hostages. And until they come home, none of us are going to be able to smile the way we smiled before the October 7th again. Uh, and this is why we need to bring them home. And this is, needs to be a priority because morally, the country cannot withstand the, um, the plight of the hostages. We need to do everything to bring them home. So before I let you go, Fleur, I want to ask you something. There, are, are, there is a substantial minority of Arab Israelis who are yes. somewhat integrated into the culture. Certainly educationally they are, but they tend to live in their own neighborhoods. They have their own way of being in Israel. What is your sense of yes. how Arab Israelis are coping with this right now? So let me tell you, which is actually a, 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 maybe a positive silver lining from this whole terrible situation, is that uh, I believe Hamas, when they did this attack, part of what they wanted to do was arise and get all the Arab Israelis to also attack from within, get Hezbollah to attack from the north, and essentially try and use this as momentum to destroy the state of Israel, nothing less. And what they actually managed to achieve in terms of the Arab Israelis was the opposite. Because most Arab Israelis, I'm not saying that they're all Zionists, some are, some aren't, but most Arab Israelis the next day woke up and said, not in my name. This is, we may have some sympathy for uh, the Palestinian people or their right to self-determination, which of course I also believe in. But we are not, this is not who we are. And this is not who represents us. And this brutality is not something we are going to stand behind. And so they created the opposite effect. They created an incredible social solidarity from the Arabs that perhaps even didn't exist before or they didn't know that existed before. So I'm glad that at least that. I am too. Flor Hassan Nahum, thank you so much. I'm going to be coming to Israel in November. It would be my privilege oh, and honor to meet I you. Look- Forward. I would like to meet I would, you. I look forward to having you in my city. Really look forward. Me too. Flor Hassan Nahum, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem and also host of the popular JNS show, The Quad. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. What a pleasure. Be safe. Be well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Lahit Raut. Okay. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.